This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. All right. Uh, the question of uh, what school is going to look like this fall is an ongoing one in school districts around the country. Many of them are offering a mix of either in-classroom, at-home, or a combination of the two. Philadelphia schools just announced that they're going to be going online only until November. And the decisions are changing as well, in some cases, by the week as new information is available. In Florida, the teachers union there is suing the state government over going back to the classroom five days a week with the number of COVID cases uh, obviously in that state remaining high. Dr. David Rubin is director of Policy Lab at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and professor of pediatrics at the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and he has uh, talked a great deal about this, and he joins us right now. Dr. Rubin, thanks very much for your time. Hope you're doing well, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I guess let's talk first about what the expectations of schools need to be at this point. And again, that is so fluid right now, even as we're in late July at this point. But what do you think from the medical perspective and thinking about the coronavirus, what do schools really need to be considering if they are going to have a component of in-school work this fall? Well, you know, in hindsight, you know, I think we're, you know, we've really blown it here uh, in many of our areas of the country. You know, we, we, you know, it would have helped earlier on. I think a lot of people who are now fatigued with a lot of the restrictions we've had with coronavirus, you know, couldn't foresee, you know, how long people needed to distance, you know, what strategy we were, we were building behind and what our goals were. I think, you know, people would have committed probably to much uh, stronger amounts of social distancing if they knew what the goals were. And I think an important goal that I, that I would have identified and those of us at Children's Hospital would have identified, um, recognizing we're biased around children, but, but I think an important point could have been made that getting schools opened in the fall was a national priority yeah. and should be our national priority. I mean, children need school um, uh, and... Um, so that they don't fall behind in their educational um, uh, goals, but you know, you know, schools are also important for workforce participation, um, and 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 so many families receive services uh, through the school district. Um, and lacking that goal, you know, we sort of, uh, you know, we've moved forward into the situation now where we have significant amount of growth of um, of case counts throughout. The entire country. There are there isn't an area in this country today that I can say I'd feel safe from transmission. And if you look at the reopenings of schools in um, in Europe or uh, in um, in other locations overseas, a key component to a successful school strategy has always been to degrade case counts, to eliminate transmission, to uh, prevent the likelihood that there would be a uh, a spreading event within a school. Yeah. That has not happened, unfortunately. And then unfortunately, that is, a, a, to me, a checkpoint that you really have to achieve in order to open schools safely. If you look at New York's reopening, uh, they, you know, they won't open schools unless the testing positivity rate is less than 5%. And there are regions that are that are below 5%, and certainly a number of our rural school districts and, and uh, some of our suburban school districts will make those cutoffs. Yeah. Um, but it would be even safer if we were below two, three uh, percent in terms of the likelihood of a spreading event occurring in school. Um, lacking that, there, you know, it's not just a question of whether elected officials will open schools. 
Um, it's a question of public confidence. And to your points about the teachers' union in Florida, uh, parents, you know, increasingly don't believe that schools are going to be safe for their children and because they're watching what we're seeing in terms of the case transmission in communities. And teachers don't feel like they're going to be safe right. as well. If we had eliminated transmission and, that'll, and then combined that with very smart mitigation plans, um, uh, what schools would look like, like you said, uh, then I, see, I feel like, you know, teachers would have feel, felt safe returning to school and parents would have been convinced that the risk of a, of a significant transmission event as their kids return would be low. Um, if you'd like, I can go ahead. I can talk, you know, assuming those areas that do get into those low testing positivity uh, ranges and are going to reopen, I can talk to you a little bit about what a smart, uh, you know, school reopening plan would look like uh, for those school districts that are opening and those that we are continuing to work with. Let me do that in just one second, because one of the other things you mentioned, you know, the the importance of of reopening schools because of, you know, making sure the kids don't fall behind. I wanted to ask you about another element that has been brought up as well of the social component, uh, you know, of kids being around other kids uh, in terms of their development instead of being home in many cases by themselves or with their siblings or with their parent that has to work during the time that they have to do their schoolwork and, and the positives and negatives of that component to all of this. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've seen it in my own family. I think there's a lot of social isolation that, that kids are going through right now. There's a lot of socio-emotional development that occurs in schools, uh, you know, between the teachers and the kids and the kids and each other. And all of that, you know, I think there's a, lo- there's a lot of frustration out there right now. I think we just, you know, wh- wherever you feel about whether to open schools or not to open schools, uh, there's just a lot of frustration because you can, you can sense all that we are losing as, uh, as we see um, multi- many school districts recognize that they're not going to be able to open for in-school learning in the fall, um, at least yeah. at the start. Okay, so let's dig into this. What does a, a potential plan of reopening, in your mind, look like for a school district? Well, let's start with what we, you know, what we know about transmission. We know that transmission is going to be much more likely if they're high case counts. So we talked about that. You know, you know, if communities can degrade their case counts, commit to the types of, of distancing. And, and staying in small groups, um, particularly uh, when they're out, when folks are outside of work or outside of, uh, you know, uh, in the community on weekends, et cetera, um, then then it becomes well, what kind of transmission are we trying to prevent? And primarily, the coronavirus spreads through respiratory transmission, usually drop what we call droplet transmission. I know there's been a lot of interest as to whether this virus can aerosolize and stay in the air for hours. In actuality, what we call the secondary attack rate, like the proportion of individuals who uh, are infected within a household, given um, uh, an incident case within that household, um, it's actually about 12 percent or 10 to 15 percent based on some of the large studies we've seen recently. And that means that this virus is behaving more like other respiratory viruses we know, like influenza, which also spread by respiratory droplets. And what we know about those viruses is that physical distance is, is extremely important, that most of the droplets, if someone you know coughs, um, uh, are going to drop within a six-foot radius uh, of that individual. Yeah. Um, and so that's why you know, the, the focus on distancing and masking recommendations within the schools are so important. We have been very uh, consistent at CHOP recommending that, um, that we should limit occupancy in the classrooms to assure that we can space kids out 
by six feet. Um, yeah. And uh, and I know there have been other places recognizing, and I do recognize there are some schools that can't meet that uh, requirement. Um, and yeah, you know, but at the same time. Um, the reality is that six feet is based on pretty good evidence with regards to respiratory transmission of these uh, viruses. And so we tell school districts that if they can't uh, distance the desks by six feet, then, you know, what they should consider is an alternative. And so you'll see uh, like a hybrid schedule where some kids are coming for a couple days a week and yeah. other kids are on online learning and then they flip it later in the week. Um, that to me, although that's not a perfect trade-off. I think we feel confident enough about that six-foot recommendation, yeah. um, and and its and its importance to the safety of a classroom, uh, that we would prefer a hybrid schedule um, in that situation. And, now, and obviously, yep. go ahead, doctor. I'm sorry. Yeah, and then I would say, you know, the next thing is to recognize that the teachers are probably the, the most likely source of transmission and the yeah. people who are most likely to get infected in the classroom. And so you have to distance them yep. at least six feet, if not more, and assuring teachers that, that a classroom would be safe if anyone perceives that they're, that anyone is cutting corners in in limiting occupancy of a classroom. You know, that's where you start to get problems with teachers' unions who see that and say, you know, we're not going to be able to pull this off. Yeah, um, that or was parents who who get concerned, and so that's why it all starts with these distancing recommendations, and then you add the masks for extra protection as well, too. That, that was going to be my next point: is that you know there are so many uh, teachers that uh, you know obviously have concerns, and, and then you throw in the teachers that have had a medical issue of some kind already. And, and that just kind of adds to the to the level of concern, and probably part of the reason why we see the lawsuit in Florida of of teachers going back and being in a in a uh, in a location where you have a lot of kids in a in a relatively small classroom, maybe not six feet apart, and that dynamic just increases the potential of infection. Absolutely, between the case counts and then and then the cutting corners with regards to the physical limitations of the classroom, you can understand why people would be upset. Look, my mom was a teacher uh, for for over thirty five years in New York City, you know, and I know, given what I know now, that I would not send her into one of those classrooms um, in in these situations. So I identify with what what the teachers are saying. At the same time, I would also say to the teachers and the teachers unions out there that there some of this is fear, right? Uh, when when I went back to practice in March and April, when this all started, my you know our pediatric practice, I can tell you that we were all terrified, and our nurses were terrified, and our nursing assistants. But we established protocols to distance ourselves in our offices, yeah. um, to wear masks and protect ourselves with hand hygiene and disinfection routines, which were also important in the schools, um, and to be able to uh, to throughput you know to actually have families move through the office in a way that kept them distanced. And I can tell you that over time, I feel safer now in my office than I do when I'm in the community. And, what, and that's the exact same type of confidence we have to instill in our families and our teachers in order for this to actually work. And if, and it, and if we don't, it all falls apart. Is it your expectation then that, that maybe the formula that we need to look at is not a 100% fully in school, but maybe that dynamic of... Uh, of maybe two days in the classroom, three days off, just because of uh, of the potential flare-up of infections in, in different parts of the country at this point? 
Well, absolutely. For those areas that can't uh, flex to other, you know, outdoor, you know, some areas are in warmer areas of the country. They can use outdoor pavilions that also have better ventilation. Yeah. Um, some can can flex to community buildings. I've seen some versions where the high school kids stay online and they prioritize the children yeah. in elementary school yeah. who have them a harder time with online learning um, for the uh, in-room classroom, and they move some of the kids into the high schools. Uh, so there's different versions on how to space people out, but it's, it all comes down to these limited occupancy classrooms and redu- you know and and improving the amount of social distancing we do as part of our school day. Yeah, and and you also have, from a financial perspective, you have to make sure that all of these schools have the right amounts and and a sam ample supply of PPE and and other elements, so that you know tech uh, teachers and and other staff members are protected as well. Yeah, supply chain is a big issue. I think it's even a bigger issue with with regards to to um, hand sanitizer and disinfection. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the masks, and you know, uh, um, I prefer surgical masks. You don't need N95 masks in the setting of, of school, and cloth masks are, are better than no masks. Um, uh, but in particular, we haven't talked enough about hand sanitizer and, uh, and disinfection pro- uh, uh, products and these routines that are going to be just as important because, they're, you know, if a child or, or a teacher coughs on a desk, you know, um, there's a risk of transmission from surface contact there as well, too, and that's, you know, it's it's not as significant as it would be with with regards to respiratory transmission but it's 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 considerable enough that it needs to be adequately addressed dr rubin thanks very much for your time uh thank you very much for your insight greatly appreciate it all the best all right good luck thank you thank you dr david rubin director of policy lab at the children's hospital of philadelphia also a professor of pediatrics at the perelman school of medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.